This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Today, we will be breaking down the London Stock Exchange, now referred to as LSEG. LSEG is a nearly 40 billion pound market cap business that plays an integral role in the infrastructure of the world's financial markets. Since 2000, there have been at least 11 attempts at mergers and takeovers of the business by other exchanges and banks. The company itself made a notable acquisition when it closed on its M&A of Refinitiv from Blackstone in January of this year. The company offers a wide range of services, financial markets, and data exchanges, which make it an essential player in the world's markets. To break down the business, we are joined by Nick Shenton of Artemis, a UK-based fund manager. Nick, thanks for joining us to break down LSEG. I know it's a business you know well, given nearly a decade of investment experience in this particular business. I thought it'd be helpful for our audience if we kick it off with just providing a bit of context for the industry that it operates in and their role within it. Absolutely. It is a complex industry, but I will do my best to shed some light on it. In order for the global economy to create wealth and raise standards of living around the world, It needs global financial markets that are built on a reliable infrastructure so that capital and data can move around in the most efficient and robust and scalable way. And the world is working its way towards that. And LSEG is a really important part of the architecture across the whole of the value chain. It's a leading financial market infrastructure and data and analytics platform. And it's also the most global. There's over 40,000 organizations plugging into the platform in around 190 countries around the world. And the customers include the sell side, the buy side, private equity issuers, individuals, wealth managers, uh, asset owners, even corporate treasury. And the wider stakeholders are governments and regulators and central banks. And these parties all interact with the platform in a, a really wide variety of ways. So it might be companies raising capital to grow, might be asset owners designing benchmarks for their managers, it might be asset managers using data feeds to determine their investment strategies, might be banks clearing and settling trades. So in some ways, it does start with primary issuance and goes the whole value chain to the end clearing and settlement with everything in between. And the industry is structurally growing. It has been for decades. We've got computing power and technology application at scale, unleashing new use cases. Regulation is driving business away from a fragmented banking system and towards centralized trading venues. It's demanding increased and higher reporting standards. There's a broader business digitization and engagement with the data and workflow solutions. There's the growth of passive investing the overall democratization of investment and increased self-directed trade. There's rising global wealth, 
globalization of business, trading, capital, data. And increasingly, you've got decarbonization, or at least start of common standards to make a more sustainable financial system. And then, of course, on-premise to cloud, which is transforming the client and customer relationship. So the global capital markets are increasingly digital, to your point. There's infrastructure needed in the form of marketplaces to essentially connect capital providers with those that demand capital and those that care to transact. LSEG plays a vital part in a lot of that, it sounds like. How should we think about the business scale, what drives its growth, the margin profile, and what drives those economics? The business generates around, rule of thumb, £7 billion of revenue per annum. Management guides for this to be growing 5 to 7%. It's a 90% gross margin business because its units of production are digital and it's technology-led. And 70% of the revenue is recurring. So there's a high visibility to it. Geographically, the revenue is broadly 40% Americas, 40% Europe, Middle East and Africa, and 20% Asia. So it's largely global. And the common characteristics running through the business is that it's providing mission critical services. It's deeply embedded in customer and partner workflows. It has sticky relationships. And the services account for a low proportion of cost in the overall value chain, but a high proportion of the value creation. This comes through currently with operating margins broadly in the mid-30s. There are ambitions to expand over time through efficiency, that's technology and scale. And there's a natural flywheel from contribution margin that can be dropped through or reinvested. And I'd note that many of the peers, which we can talk about, would make group margins in the 40s, 50s, and even higher. And because of the visibility from recurring revenue and low capital intensity of the growth, cash conversion is high, and the incremental return on sales and return on capital is also high. So just from a financial profile perspective, clearly this is a quite strong economic model. It'd be nice to kind of spend some time trying to appreciate what allows it to earn such super normal returns has a gross margin profile of a best-in-class software business, GDP plus growth, rather consistent cash flow. How does management orchestrate a model that allows them to earn such powerful economics? And how do those different segments potentially work together? You can think of LSEG as being comprised of four modules. First module is primary capital markets. That's where businesses go to raise capital in order to grow. Module two is data and analytics. And this is where you go to get information to drive informed decisions and enact efficient business processes as a financial market participant. Module three is secondary capital markets. That's where you go to trade when you've analyzed the information. And module four is post-trade. And that is the reliable and efficient transfer of ownership of securities. It's tempting to look at this as a linear process along the lifetime of a trade but it's better thought of as an ecosystem because similar to what we see in other platform or ecosystem analogs, because of the interactions between communities in the different modules, which is driven by customer need, then you end up with interactions and connections that mean it's remiss to look at it as just a flow straight through. Let's start with capital markets, and that's putting modules one and three together, primary and secondary. This is a little under, again, rule of thumb, 
20% of group revenue, growing at high single digits. There are three areas of activity, equities, FX, foreign exchange, and fixed income and derivatives. And the best place to start is equities with the London Stock Exchange, which is what gives the group its name. London Stock Exchange is the main primary venue. It's the most global stock market in the world with companies from over 100 countries listed there. Revenue is generated from listing fees, which can be in the low hundreds of thousands of pounds per annum, and from capital raisings. 2020, as you'd expect, was a good year of companies raising equity to get through the pandemic. As an example, Deliveroo is a delivery platform for food and convenience groceries, which is similar to DoorDash in the US. It IPO'd earlier this year. They paid your IPO. They will pay ongoing listing fees. A decade ago, capital markets was over 60% of the group. Most of that was in equities, which wasn't growing very much. Today, the equities part is around 3% of group revenue. And this is an open secret of the business. As investors, we've been asked a number of times over the years, well, look, the London Stock Exchange has been a really strong performing share. When are you going to sell it? And our answer has been when investors stop calling it a stock exchange. There's a lot more at play in this business. FX is around 3% of group revenues. It's structurally growing as a market. Companies are executing increasing amounts of FX trades. Customers are migrating from voice trading to electronic. Hard as that may be to believe, there's still further to go in electronification of FX. And customers are moving from trading via brokers towards specialized solutions like LSEG's FX All. The FX markets are vast. They trade around $6.5 trillion notional per day. LSEG are a market leader, handling around $450 billion of volume per day. The revenue is transactional. On this $450 billion of volume, LSEG generates around a million dollars of revenue, which means you're paying a fraction of a basis point to transact in FX markets. So there's a lot of value creation here. There's scope to grow market share. The competitors of businesses like CME, also a very strong business. If you think about the demand, you take an example of a business like Specialized, which is a world-class bike company, sure, many people are familiar with, based in California. They import components from Japan. They need to move dollars into yen and back again, maybe hedge their exposure in the future. And that demand is what's feeding the system. So FX is growing high single digits overall, and there's very good leverage on the revenue base. And then the final part of capital markets is fixed income and derivatives, around 13% of group revenue. This is primarily TradeWeb. TradeWeb is a NASDAQ-listed trading venue. And LSEG own 53% of the economic interest and 80% of the voting rights. The stake has an open market value of $12 billion, which is equivalent to 25% of LSEG's market cap which is not to say that it's a sum of the parts business, but it does highlight the differential in valuations. TradeWeb is seen as a likely structural winner in the electronification of global fixed income and derivatives trading, which again, still has quite a long way to run. It's far from fully penetrated. Top line is growing in the mid-teens, and it's also highly profitable, generating margins of around 50% EBITDA. The biggest markets are government bond and interest rate derivative markets, and then credit. And customers are hedge funds, asset managers, sell-side banks, central banks, retail brokers. And they make money in three ways. Firstly, variable revenues, so transaction fee. Again, pretty low capture rates. In rates, it costs two US dollars to trade a million dollars of notional. 
and credit is more, it's still only $50. So fractions of basis points again. And there is competitive overlap with businesses like market access in credit. There's an element of subscription, which is monthly fixed transaction fees, which is really access to the liquidity. And then market data, like all trading venues, TradeWeb generates data, an IP that can be used to create value elsewhere in the industry. And this fits in very neatly on the LSEG platform. Nick, can you give us a better sense for the competitive frontiers when it comes to trading venues and exchanges? Characteristics of these exchanges and trading venues, broadly, is winner takes most because of pooling of liquidity. You go where the markets are the deepest and you can get the best expression of a fair market price. They're long duration, when done well. They're very electronic, so low marginal cost of doing business. There's fixed cost leverage and good profitability. And these characteristics have tended to lend themselves to scale and consolidation. So M&A is a constant feature of the industry. So the reason that investors have recently been so excited about these digital marketplace businesses that are facilitating trades around the world is because of the network effects. But if you think about the actual data benefits that they have, given what they see coming through their pipes, they also have a rich business that you refer to as data analytics. What does that business look like? Data and analytics is the most important driver of revenue for the group at a little under 70% of revenue. TAM is around 40 to 45 billion pounds, growing at 4 to 6% a year. And there's structural drivers behind this, like technology, regulation on reporting, data innovation, so new types of data and increased demand. It's pretty simple. LSEG is a little over 10% of the market with revenues of around 5 billion pounds. Customer base, very broad, and it goes beyond investment banks and fund managers to asset owners and central banks and custodians, wealth managers, advisors, academia, corporates. LSEG Data and Analytics has over 40,000 customers and well over 400,000 end users. There are over 1,000 partners using LSEG Data to run their own applications. Because of commercial sensitivity, it's hard to get a read on dollar costs to clients and the models vary. But you can look at the characteristics overall and identify that it's mission critical and recurring revenue. And ballpark costs to customers can be low single digits as a percentage of total cost. We'll go through the different aspects of data and analytics now. Enterprise data solutions is around 17% of group revenue. The offering here is the broadest and deepest data sets of any vendor that covers financial markets globally. This is data that is mission critical for trading and analytics, portfolio management. It can also be information for corporate actions, shareholder disclosures, and pricing of instruments, which is important for settlement and, and risk management. In terms of the customers, the top 30 banks in the world are all customers. The top 10 asset managers in the world are all customers. Over 1,200 approved partners have built products and applications that work with LSEC data. BlackRock Aladdin would be an example there. Within the banking industry, banks can have up to 500 apps across their business that are dependent on refinitive data to operate. So this is very sticky business, and it sits at the heart of what their customers do. But just to go through trading and banking and investment solutions, investment solutions is around 17% group revenue, and this should, again, bring to life the value that they're creating. In investment solutions, LSEG are providing 
analytics and data that power investment strategies. And the customers are asset owners and asset managers, banks, asset services. Put it in context, there are around $18 trillion of assets that are benchmarked against FTSE Russell indices. So people listening might have wealth managers or may employ wealth managers who invest part of their portfolio in passively tracking FTSE Russell indices. Well, where it's allocated to active managers, they could be reporting their performance relative to a FTSE Russell index. Overall, it's been a very strong play on the use of technology to increase the attractiveness of passive investing and to take it to a wider audience. These are mostly recurring revenues through subscriptions or licenses to use the IP. The total addressable market is somewhere around £10 billion. And they expect this segment to keep growing in the future between 5 and 7%. S&P and MSCI providing similar offers in indices and the analytics offerings compete against businesses like FactSet and Bloomberg and Moody's. And then just lastly, trading and banking as a part of the data and analytics business. What exactly does that business do? Trading and banking is a little over 20% of group revenues. And it provides content and analytics and workflow solutions to a range of customers across, as you would expect, the trading and banking communities. It's around £1.6 billion of revenue operating in an industry with a TAM of around £15 billion growing at mid-single digits. Around one-third of the revenue here comes from Icon Premium, which is a one-size-fits-all desktop product. It's something of a Bloomberg competitor. It's been going backwards due to poor product market fit and a reduction in trader headcount. There has been growth elsewhere in the business, but it's been getting offset by this. So they need to fix this. They're acutely aware of it. As I say, the other parts are growing. Banking and then the different communities like fixed income and equities, traders are growing, and they've got very strong positions in commodities trading and FX. It's sticky solutions again. Again, commercial sensitivities, it's hard to say the pricing in this division. You might work off a broad cost for a Bloomberg terminal of perhaps $20,000. The refinitive offering is, is a fraction of this. It's a small part of the overall cost base for the customers, and there's a big opportunity to move this business into the cloud and make it more bespoke for user communities. As I say, there are parts in the business in terms of trading communities and banking, which are growing pretty strongly here. If you think of an example, let's say you're looking to sell your successful business and retire, and you find an investment bank to help create an auction process, they may well use Refinitiv to build something of a picture on who the potential buyers could be and to think about the financials and transaction multiples. So that's modules one, two, and three. The fourth piece in LSEG's business is post-trade. What role does LSEG play here and how does it provide value for its customers? The final part of the revenue model by division is post-trade. That's a little over 10% of group revenue. This has been very successful. It's a 20% revenue CAGR over the past decade and margins have expanded from the low 30s to 55%. It's primarily London Clearinghouse And the role of a clearinghouse is to provide transparency and stability to financial markets by standing between two counterparties and becoming both sides of the trade. And to bring this to life, the best example was during the financial crisis when LCH was responsible for unwinding 
Lehman Brothers $9 trillion interest rate portfolio. And this involved 66,000 trades over a three-week period. And they did it using only a third of the collateral margin that Lehman had deposited. So regulators have been very much in favor of this model because it takes risk away from the banking system. With that does come a lot of responsibility, so it's highly regulated and scrutinized. The main business is clearing interest rate swaps. That's over $1.1 quadrillion of notional per annum. To put the zeros on that, you need your toes as well as your fingers. It is a very big number. And they generate revenue through membership fees. They also get paid for helping to compress trades, which frees up regulatory capital. In 2020, the business saved partners over $30 billion of red cap. So there's very high value add. And so as you've highlighted, it's a rather complex and multifaceted business with a rich history that's brought us to where we are today. Can we spend some time talking about the main protagonist in the story of Elseg and how it this behemoth of a financial infrastructure that it represents? The origins of the business can be traced back a long way to the city of London in the late 1600s. In fact, to a place called Jonathan's Coffee House. Uh, Coffee houses were well-known meeting places in those days. And in 1698, a gentleman named John Casting began posting the prices of stocks and commodities. And so that's broadly seen as the origins of what became the London Stock Exchange, which officially came into being in 1801. So we're talking about over 300 years of history. And while the origins go back many centuries. I think actually the origin story of where Elseg has got to today as a world-leading FMI and data business started much more recently in the 2007 to 2009 period. And I think it's really important to understand that. But there's a couple of noteworthy events that lead up to this. In the mid-80s, you had the Big Bang in London. That was deregulation of the stock exchange. It lowered the cost of trading, made London more international more outward-looking, and it brought in international ownership of the brokers. And in 2000, the London Stock Exchange demutualized, which means there was a change in ownership. It had shareholders as owners, whereas previously it had members, which means a switch in incentives from being not-for-profit to generating profit. And then in 2007, it was regulatory change, which increased transparency and competition for stock markets. And this was a paradigm shift in the industry because it exposed for the first time the London Stock Exchange to competition. And that competition came from dissatisfied customers, former owners of the business, the banks, who felt disenfranchised. Technology was poor, the user experience was poor, costs were high, and LSEG got disrupted by challenger exchanges. And it was really a sink or swim moment. In May 2009, Elsec appointed Xavier Rollet, the CEO, and it was a very shrewd appointment. He brought a lot of value to the business, the right person at the right time. Xavier is French, grew up in Algeria, then Paris, moved to the US as a young man, and he worked in investment banking. And he brought a worldview and a very strong grasp and vision of where the industry was going and what Elsec needed to do about it. He understood customers. He'd had 25 years in investment banking, including being co-head of global equity trading at Lehman. He knew what customers were dissatisfied by and what they wanted, how to get close to them, how to solve problems. He brought energy and huge amounts of it 
to lead the business through challenging times. And he had vision. Where others saw threat, he saw opportunity. And what was the opportunity? It was the chance to move from being a regional stock exchange to a global FMI business. And he put in place a strategy which, like the best ones, is simple but not easy. And there were four prongs to it. The first one was drive efficiency and share it with customers. Second was build scale to leverage the assets and fixed costs. Third was to get close to customers. And the fourth was to innovate. And that involved investment and solving problems for customers. These are all still fundamental building blocks of the business. And you can still see them in management communications 12 years later. So Xavier did two things very quickly that turned out to be very smart. Firstly, LSEG acquired a business called Millennium IT, which is a leader in high-performance trading systems. It was seen at the time by some investors as LSEG trying to become a software provider for running exchanges. This wasn't it. It was about fixing their own capability. It was a $30 million deal that enabled them to cut the costs of their own platform by 90% and transform the speed of service. This completely changed their internal tech capability and I would estimate it paid for itself well inside the first year. And then secondly, also in 2009, it took control of Turquoise, which was a pan-euro trading venue. It was to fight back against disruption of the core stock exchange. And they did this in partnership with banks who were operating it cooperatively. It was underperforming and loss-making. And this had allowed LSEG to solve a problem and to create value for customers. This really is the genesis of the change in culture and the business that drove such remarkable performance and shareholder returns over the next decade. The business was very front-footed on M&A, rightly so, and I think it's right to highlight a couple of major deals. In 2011, they bought the other half of FTSE Indices, which was a JV operated with the Financial Times. FTSE is Financial Times Stock Exchange, and that was to take advantage of the structural switch from active to passive management and to move into IP. The business was valued at £900 million by this transaction. In 2020, the division generated £800 million of gross profit. So a fantastic deal. As is so often the case, when you get stability and more focused ownership, moving out of a JV structure with the ownership of good assets can drive a lot of value. And in 2012, they announced another partnership with banks to become the majority owner of London Clearinghouse, LCH. And at the time, it was viewed quite suspiciously by investors. There was a lot of talk of it barely covering its cost of capital. But LSEG drove substantial value by being majority owners as primarily the open access model and working in partnership with the members and operating profit margins almost doubled over the next eight, nine years. I'd also highlight the culture overall. It's very important running through the business. They've been beneficiaries of increased regulation of banks, not just as a revenue opportunity, but the ability to attract high-caliber people who are entrepreneurial, forward-thinking. David Warren came over as CFO from NASDAQ, having tried to buy the business. He came to join it, which is always a good sign. And he was a very steady hand for many years as CFO. The board of directors got it, and there was good leadership from Chris Gibson-Smith and Donald Bryden as, as chairs of the business. And Xavier left in 2018 after nine years as CEO. He got stock options at about £3.88 or specifically at £3.88, I know because he has told us the shares were £40 when he left. The final person to discuss as a key protagonist was the new CEO. Xavier was succeeded by David Schwimmer, 
who spent 20 years as a partner at Goldman, including at the start working with Jeff Sprecher on building out ICE. So David has been part of the FMI industry since the very beginning. And so one of the things that kind of stands out to me is the success they've had in acquiring and integrating businesses. In the last couple of years, they made some rather large splashes in M&A that I guess potentially could change the story or the trajectory of the business. How do you think about the integration of the Refinitiv asset that they acquired and what that means for the next five years of LSEG? Refinitiv and the integration of it is absolutely critical to the future success of the business. The context, this business had been rebranded as Refinitiv by Blackstone. And the simplest way to think of it is to take the data and analytics business that we described in the first section, subtract most of investment solutions, and add in FX and trade web trading venues. The significance of the deal is that it doubled the enterprise value of the business, more or less. And it took revenue from a little over £2 billion to closer to £7 billion. I remember the exact moment that I found out about the deal because it's seared on my memory. And I was standing in line in a coffee shop on a Saturday morning and I got a WhatsApp from my colleague, Kartik. And it was something along the lines of, hey, Nick, hope you're having a good Saturday. Just wondered what you thought of this $27 billion deal that Elseg are doing to buy the old Reuters finance business from Blackstone. As I sat back and analyzed it, it was very quickly clear that it was consistent with the vision that we have for Elseg, and that's to become a leading global FMI and data analytics business. Refinitiv is a catalyst to executing on this strategy. Firstly, there was strategic logic. It gives them a podium place in the global FMI industry. These kind of assets don't come up very often, and when they do, you have to move fast. Elseg allowed life, which is the London International Financial Futures Exchange, to be bought from under their nose in the early 2000s. They've regretted it ever since. Secondly, there's industrial logic because the financials work. It was a strategic deal at a non-strategic price, around four times EV sales and around 12 times EV EBITDA. It was apparent that gross margins were high, but revenue growth was weaker than it should have been, and EBITDA was lower than it should have been. So it's an opportunity to prove a better owner of the asset. And this has been a core competency of Elseg. It's seen as a poor man's Bloomberg, but it's actually a colossus hiding in plain sight. And that's not me talking, that's a quote from Steve Schwartzman. And I would concur as long as they can execute. There are multiple core advantages of the combined entity. The two businesses have a shared philosophy of open access. This is really important. Reuters goes back 180 years on open access. It's about scale. Digital platforms trend to scale. We've seen this in multiple industries. And this business now has global scale. There's enhanced network effects. There are complementary and interlocking segments with revenue synergies. It brings a data asset that is very valuable and unique. It gives the business global distribution and an expanded TAM into the buy side and corporates. It makes it multi-asset and it brings a larger exposure to subscription or recurring revenue that underpins future M&A. And so I think that point you make to Bloomberg is an important one and maybe one that we should explore a bit further. 
clearly Bloomberg has been this monopoly in the financial services industry and the way that it interacts with professional and institutional investors. Refinitiv has this wedge and LSEC broadly, given the relationship they have with all the constituents in the financial markets, helps to distill this entire story together. How do all these parts work in a way that brings a competitive advantage to LSEG that allows them to cross-sell and enter adjacent markets and perhaps lower the cost of transactions for their customers while still capturing economics for LSEG? What is the special sauce of the business? I think there are two elements to this. It has a very unusual combination of growth opportunities and barriers to entry. So technology can often be a double-edged sword because it creates opportunities for growth, but it also often lowers barriers to entry. And in this industry, the growth has come, but the barriers to entry have remained high. So let's start with the drivers of growth and the mega trends of computing power, demand for data, electronification of the markets, indexation, regulation, search for efficiency. Common denominator is technology. And also, I've got to add, it's quite a humbling reminder how hard it is to predict the future. Because when we invested in 2012, we didn't know about half these drivers. We didn't predict where cloud computing was going to be at all. We're not that smart. But it is the great privilege of investing. You can align yourself with winning teams because good things happen to the good companies. And if you look at the barriers to entry, I think this is a really important point. Maybe the key point in understanding how LSEG has been able to grow and create value for its stakeholders. There are very powerful network effects on liquidity and data in this industry. People go where the liquidity is, and it's very, very hard to fracture that and attract them to a different venue. People went to WhatsApp because their friends were there, and that increases the value for them and for their friends, which means more friends join in. And once you're there, you're pretty sticky. How can you be orders of magnitude better than WhatsApp? Very, very hard. And this is particularly relevant in financial markets because you need the best, most accurate price. And that's most likely where you have the deepest demand and supply. Liquidity begets liquidity, and then increasingly data begets data. So there's a virtuous cycle of momentum. That's why you get these winner-take-most markets. Second point that's unique to LSEG is its open access model, very unusual in the industry. In clearing, they offer clearing services for other trading venues. Competitors generally operate what are called closed silos is where if you trade assets at their venues, you have to clear them there as well. And they tend to monetize that. So they're almost obliging people to transact greater share of wallet with them rather than compelling them through such clear value creation. In a scale industry, that's not how you would design it with a blank sheet of paper. LSEG in some ways didn't have a choice, but they executed well on open access. Because by being open access, it means your whole motivation your incentivization and your mindset is being close to customers and solving more problems for them, thinking about things from their perspective. And as the world moves increasingly to cloud, there's potential to solve more problems and you're best off with an open access model. So I think being very close to customers, knowing what they want, hiring from them, and having learned the hard way really has stood LSEG in good stead. Regulation is also important. This is an industry which is under intense scrutiny and quite rightly so, because it's systemically important. This is seen as a negative by many people, but the regulators are key stakeholders and they're raising standards and that raises barriers to entry. So experiences, relationships, heritage, trust, all of these things matter. They take time to build. 
and it has to be done on a country by country basis. So it takes time to become global. As a result of this, innovation generally comes from within the system or is acquired in. So there's another advantage of being a platform with deep pockets for bolt-ons. We've seen this at length and repeated frequently in information services. So scale, critically important because it provides efficiency, which is then passed back to customers. The data asset that Refinitiv brings is crucially important. It's differentiated. It would be very, very hard, and very, very expensive to replicate and extremely difficult to better because it has quality and breadth and depth of data. It's got decades and decades of data and development and history. It's a mix of proprietary data coming from their own sources and open access. They're processing data from hundreds of thousands of sources each day, and they're doing it at a very high volume and velocity. And it's all built interoperably to open standards. And this ability to productize the data is not easily done. It requires a mix of skills. And then the final couple of points, distribution. I think that's really important because as they innovate new offerings, they've got real estates and connections to customers that can be leveraged and they have a global presence. There are 6,000 data professionals around the world working for Refinitiv and LSEG. They're present in 70 countries, there are 2,500 salespeople. More than 50% of the business's people are in Asia Pacific. So it's a truly global business. And then finally, it's uniquely multi-asset. So there's a number of interlocking factors that combine to create quite a powerful point of difference within the industry. It's that popular investor framework about distribution over product. And the combination of both can be quite powerful, which I imagine is leading to their market share growth. And so Nick, I imagine that the digital financial market industry is growing well in excess of global GDP. I think this is a business that you've said had maybe grows mid-single digit percentage-wise. What are the key drivers of that growth and why wouldn't it accelerate further as the world becomes more digitally connected or the world's financial markets, at least, become more digital in nature? I would look at it from a couple of perspectives. So firstly, as I say, this is broadly a proxy for the development of global capitalism. And the industry has grown in pockets substantially ahead of global GDP over the past 20 years. The drivers remain intact, which makes you think, that the industry and the businesses within it with leading positions should at least be able to match that. Then you say, does scale confer extra advantage? And does distribution convey extra advantage? When you look at where LSEG could potentially take the market, there's a couple of perspectives. And it all comes back to how well they can manage the refinitive asset that they've taken over. Can they execute, create value for customers, get close to them so they can at least match that market growth? Then can they use their scale to join up communities, to offer them more data, different types of data, more powerful analytics, and reach more customers to take share? I would be disappointed if I were running the business and I wasn't able to execute on that. And then the point beyond is your excellent one about digitization. And there's a couple of elements to that. There's firstly, the driver of share, that if you are the winner, the business that's providing greater electronification, then you should be taking share. And then secondly, it's this digital transformation to go from on-premise into the cloud, which we have seen in other industries, creating extra avenues of growth, opening doors 
to new areas of growth. For example, in fintechs and the evolving fringes, which might move to the center of financial industry. So there are multiple levels there that would make you think that this is a business which should have the potential to grow ahead of that market growth. If I kind of take a look at the business, everything that you have laid out has been overwhelmingly positive. But I imagine with any business, there are key risks and the digital financial market infrastructure is highly competitive. What are the key risks in structure and competition that LSEG faces that could potentially hinder their path forward? The two key risks that I think need to be covered here are operational execution of the Refinitiv deal and the threat of disruptive technology. Those are the two fundamentals which could change the value of the business. Let's deal firstly with operational execution of Refinitiv. It is a large deal, not just in the numbers in dollar terms, but more pertinently people. Helseg is moving from being a business of 5,000 people to 25,000. So there is potentially a cultural challenge of integrating these two businesses. They're managing their own people, old Helseg people who are used to being part of a smaller business, and they're integrating new people who are being asked to change how they work. In mitigation, I would say that Elseg are a better owner of the refinitive assets than Thomson Reuters, and I think they're probably a better owner than Blackstone. Now they're a partner of Blackstone's, but the scale and expertise and track record in tech integration at Elseg makes them a better owner. And in terms of technology, there is integration of systems. And there's migration onto newer, more robust platforms. There's work to do in both organizations. So there's work to do in both of the organizations. Management are very upfront about that. And let's be honest, businesses are never as clean and shiny as we'd like to think. And they have to turn around some assets that were underperforming the market. And that's going to take time. It's mainly focused on icon desktop, which is not as big, some people might assume, And that's going from on-prem, one-size-fits-all offering into the cloud. But I think that comes with a big price. Early signs are promising overall, and the growth rates have improved so far from self-help. In the recent third quarter, the data and analytics business was growing about 6%. And the second element is disruptive technology, or DeFi, however you'd like to frame it. We're acutely aware of the innovation in this space. There's no end of bright people getting into the area, no end of capital supporting potential new entrants. Let's think about the mitigation again, because this is a business which understands risk and has a track record of disrupting itself as it did in 2008, 2009. They are not keeping their head in the sand. I'd emphasize it's not just about technology here. In some senses, technology can be the thin end of the wedge. The thick end of the wedge is that combination of skills, heritage, scale, distribution, regulatory relationships, productization, all these other activities that come together that make it hard to break in and hard to do something that's orders of magnitude better. Regulation is your friend here because we can see that regulators are cautious about allowing fast innovation in systemically important financial markets. If you think about it, in the payments industry, particularly cross-border, there were fat cost structures to be attacked and very fat profit margins. When we're talking about FX, it's a fraction of a basis point. What we've seen in other information services businesses could repeat here. So innovation happens, but the players with platforms and scale can acquire that innovation, put it through their system and move it 
in a transformative way up the S-curve of development in a way that couldn't have happened if the business was on its own. LSEG can do that now. They can introduce disruptive offerings through their platform and scale. An example might be settlement, where blockchain technology could well be applied. LSEG could try themselves, or they could partner with a small new entrant and scale it. And so if we take a step back, and we don't want to get too specific on the valuation of the company, but there's something known amongst investors as a conglomerate discount. And whilst this isn't a traditional conglomerate, there are certainly complex businesses. And if you introduce TradeWeb, it's an incremental wrinkle to the story. How do they simplify the story over time to make the investors better understand the product's organic underlying growth? I love this because I think there's a prize for investors who roll up their sleeves and do their due diligence because it's hiding in plain sight. But the company also needs to execute and they need to show evidence of growth and delivery of integration of Refinitiv. And I think they're acutely aware of this. So that can take time. But in the meantime, we can focus on these characteristics, as I say. So if we didn't discuss the name of the business or what it did, and we said, it's in structurally growing markets with tailwinds and barriers to entry and growing revenue at 5 to 7%, 70% subscription, so highly visible recurring revenue. And it's a very high gross margin business with good cash flow generation. You'd say, wow, that sounds interesting. And I would look at it as a business on those characteristics and then a peer group of the likes of S&P, maybe MSCI in parts of the business. What information services? So businesses like TransUnion, Berisk, Relex, Walters Kluwer, there are common characteristics here. TradeWeb should be a good read. And as I say, that's a business which accounts for maybe high single digits, group profitability, but 25% of the market cap. So this business overall seems to be something of a paradox versus comparable businesses. And then it comes back to being incumbent on management to deliver what they say potential of the business is. And I think that could provide interesting returns for long-term shareholders like us. Well, Nick, this has been a fantastic summary of LSEG's business. Given the benefit of studying this business for almost 10 years, I presume you've learned a lot, not just about the particular business, but potentially lessons that can be applied to other businesses. So as an investor, I ask you, what is it you've learned from LSEG that you apply to other businesses in your portfolio? And then B, as an observer of the way they built their business, what are lessons that other players in the space can learn from LSEG in building their businesses and strengthening their economic model? First one is should have had more. It's done very well. But I think the key lesson for me from the investment in LSEG is a real reminder of the importance of balancing due diligence in your investment process and making it consistent, but with imagination. There has to be a balance. So you take the time to really understand the essence of the business and the fundamentals and the characteristics and the cash flow and build a framework looking out over three to five years and longer on how that potential for cash flow compares to the share price. I think the long-term time horizon really focuses the mind on what matters. And there's always a bear case, which you have to take into account but you can see things other people miss because they're put off or they don't take the time necessarily to look as deeply as they might because they're pressured to look elsewhere. So really focus on the due diligence. But at the same time, it's a reminder that imagination is what really creates value for investors. The bear case always sounds smarter and more pointed and more focused. And the bull case is often 
a bit woolly and, and nebulous, but imagination can pay off. And I think option value in the business really fits with that. I suggest it's still very large relative to the revenue that LSEG are generating. Or to think of it, not in terms of who the customers are, but who they could be and how they're going to behave. I just feel strongly that more people in the world are going to connect into finance relative to how many are doing so currently. And we're still early in that trend. You can't predict the future with certainty, but you can get the odds in your favor with the option value. So combining that due diligence and imagination, I think is really powerful. For lessons for operators, it's not for me to tell people how to run their businesses. I can frame it. Lessons for operators, I would look at in terms of the characteristics of management teams that we think will lead to success for the investment. And there are two or three that come through very clearly. First one, get really close to customers and stakeholders and solve problems and create value. Again, I think long-term focus helps more than short-term performance targets. It's obvious. I think people know this, but in our experience, it doesn't always happen. We don't like seeing companies that extract value or too much value. We like seeing companies that reinvest to keep the flywheel going and to lengthen the duration of growth. And the second one is to invest in innovation. I'd actually say there's a lot of companies that are more focused on financial targets than innovation. And this isn't just budget, it's culture. It's making your business flat and innovative and entrepreneurial so that you attract and retain the best talent and to support initiatives, but to be disciplined on capital so that a fill or kill process is followed very quickly. Because ultimately, value is created by the people in the business and the innovation. That's what drives really long-term performance. And we like looking for what we call domain experts. So domain experts of the industry are the ones where everybody else wants to know what they're thinking and how they're seeing things. And I think that was certainly the case, uh, undoubtedly, when Xavier Rollet was CEO and allocating capital in the business. And we hope it's going to be the same with David Schwimmer in charge. This has been a fascinating story. And given that our audience tends to spend more attention on US listed stocks, it's great to have the opportunity to spend time talking about one of the more fascinating London-based businesses. So thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Zach. I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 